Girl stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Adam Horn, everybody. A 2001 Napster class of 2005 Navy football senior uh, 04 defensive lineman, a Lexington, North Carolinian, became a Marine Corps helo pilot, call sign Mongo. Where did you get that call sign? Hey, what's up, Tony? It's good to be with you. Uh, you ever seen the movie Blazing Saddles? I have not. Yeah, it's from that. It's a big ugly dumb dude uh and it pretty much fits nice. my personality but uh if you saw the edited version of that movie it'd be like five minutes long in modern day so uh it's a, you know i don't yes. know how it would go go over awesome. so well these days why not uh you know people had humor back in the 70s now you can't say anything you'll offend somebody <laughs> great movie well, what though. makes what makes manga what makes Mongo Mongo? Yeah, he's like this big dumb animal that comes riding in on a bull, you know, and just uh, wreaks havoc. Nice. And you're a commanding officer of a you know squadron, right? So this will get fun. A uh, CH-53 pilot. So for those that don't know, the CH-53 Super Stallion is probably the Marine Corps' sexiest aircraft, uh, in my opinion. I'm sure you believe the same thing. Um, started your career in... Miramar, California, did a few deployments, a couple of Afghan deployments, one on a Mew, and a really cool stint in uh, the D.C. area, flying out of the Quantico area as a presidential pilot for Marine One. So uh, everybody knows about, and, and a lot of people know about Marine One, but everybody sees Air Force One, the big jet. Uh, well, Marine One is the the green helicopter that the president gets on. So that's pretty cool. Very unique experience. Uh, did that for five years. That's awesome. And we'll get into it. But be, then after that become the OPSO, escalate to the XO to CEO uh, of HMX 461, uh, that unit called Iron Horse. Um, being the CEO of that for a while, North Carolina, and you just, you know, let go of that unit and checked into a heavy lift, um, heavy lift as a detachment OIC for VMX-1. So uh, hobbies are hunting, building cars, uh, hitting the beach, time with the family, uh, with the wife, Leanne. Is that right? That's right. You got it, Leanne. Nice. And uh, kids, Hunter and Riley. Gunner, uh, all the while possessing a, sorry, Gunner and Riley, possessing a master's from Marshall University in leadership. So yeah, never been on that campus. A though. Little intro, never been there. Never been on the campus. It's all <laughs> virtual then. Oh yeah, 
Much to uh, Judd nice. Baker's discrin. <clears throat> you know, that was my one. I was in the, so right before we started this, I was in the shower and I was thinking, okay, what did I miss for our conversation? <laughs> I was like, I should have called that guy. And uh, Master Sergeant Judd Baker, JD, uh, I should have called that guy, but I didn't. So, uh, well, cool. Yeah. And uh, before we get into your story, I'm going to hit a couple of memories. So that's what we do. I got Aaron Polanco and Wayne Irons sent out some <laughs> memories for for uh, Adam Horn today. So Polanco, uh, 2005 classmate. Um, the Weatherby to Johnson transition. How'd that go? What was your take on that? You know, uh, coaching change. The fourth quarters that started, players dropping out of the program because this new coach named Paul Johnson comes in and just wreaks havoc. What was your take on that? I mean, it was just, you know, it was a group of dudes who were committed to making change. And if you couldn't handle making that change and being part of it, then then you could go. And that was kind of the mindset. And uh, we lost a lot of good dudes. There was a lot of good people. I mean, Paul Johnson walked into the, uh, you know, to Ricketts there and was like, we all the first team meeting. He's like, stand up if you're a tight end. And, you know, we had a bunch of good dudes, really good athletes stand up, Nick Wilson, a bunch of good tight ends. And, and they all stood up. He's like, find a new position. You know, and everybody's just like, man, <laughs> that's the intro. Um, nice. But yet, you know, the fourth quarters and the uh, discipline and the stuff that he ran uh, changed the program for a long, long time. And, has carried on today, you know, with the option and Coach Nehemiah. But uh, it was definitely a, uh, a shock and awe uh, when he rolled in with the new staff. And uh, going from what we were, you know, Coach Weatherby was great, right? But uh, we only had, you know, a very short time, our class under him. And then, uh, like, we would, like, be mid-practice. And he'd be like, bring it in, boys. And he'd be like, let's take a knee and pray. And you're like, we're we're practicing, Coach. Like, what? Are you, what? And, you know, nothing against that, but it was just a totally different mindset from what you know, you know, Paul Johnson. And uh, yeah. I don't think any of us really would be like, you know what, that Paul Johnson is a great guy. Like, I really love him. But uh, <laughs> I don't think any of us would be like, he's not a good coach. Like, he's yeah, a – knew how to win, would, right? That's what we knew, right? Like, phenomenal coach came in and just punched us in the face over and over and over. And uh, it made a pretty tight group. And, uh, you know, a lot of leaders kind of surfaced out of that. And uh, we had a lot of good dudes who quit yeah. too, though, you know? Yeah, there's no other way, um, in my perspective, to make a really good core group of leaders that end up going places and do really well all together. <laughs> is yeah. Shared, su stuff, shared right? suffering, right? So, Sh shared suffering makes a tight group. 100%. Um, he also, Aaron, also mentioned the importance of the sponsor family. And he said that's something you did. Um, you brought you know, the Mrs. V family together yeah. a little bit, kind of like yes. spearheaded that. So what's going on there? What's funny is I'm actually adopted Mrs. V. Like just to give a quick backstory, Miss V grew up on the yard. Her, uh, her father was a, a commanding officer of a ship in World War II. They lived in Hawaii, moved back. Uh, she lived on the yard at the time. Her husband, she's like 16 years old, I think. Her husband was walking back. She lived right there along the parade ground. Husband was walking back from baseball practice. You know, they get together. She marries him. They've got, you know, a bunch of kids who have graduated the Naval Academy. But from 1979 until like two years ago, she was taking four midshipmen a year from 1979 on. 
So you knew you had 16 in the house at any one time. Um, So we had a pretty tight group of uh, sponsor brothers. And again, like people that we lost, Scooter Ross was another one, football player. He he left at two for seven. But a guy that we all stay in touch with, like he never left. Um, Just killing it. Yeah. And uh, Aaron Polanco was my roommate, sponsor brother, best man in my wedding, team captain, and then uh, is a commanding officer of an HMLA now out in uh, Pendleton. Nice. He did mention that too. He's like living, he said, uh, living with him was probably your worst nightmare. So but it doesn't sound that way. <laughs> nah, we were tight. And then uh, James, his uh, twin brother did Texas Tech for a year and then came to the academy. So he was a year behind us. So we had James and Aaron, two twins in different classes, both ballers. Nice. Cool. Um, last one he mentioned was uh, your change of command ceremony on your inbound at your first command, you had a lot of, uh, 05 guys there. How'd that go? That's the brotherhood, right? Like guys came from near and nice. far they and all showed up. I hope it wasn't for the ceremony. As I said, like, you know, 30 seconds worth of speech, but, um, you know, the party afterwards and just getting to, to see each other again and experience the brotherhood and see everybody come in was awesome. And that's what you, you know, you hope that, Later in life, you know, you look back and those dudes are the ones that matter to you, that we're always showing up for each other. And it's always been important to me, too. Awesome. He, uh, he had one other thing to share. There's no story behind it. It's just a picture. That picture's <laughs> right here. I don't know if you know what that picture uh, is. But, perfect. Uh, uh, so I, I did some research, and in, in, the, in the Rutgers game, there was a, a turning point, and it had to, had to do with a turnover there. So Yeah. I did not recover that Remember about that, that. that that football. Uh, yeah, it was like an inside slant. I think I was in like a three. And an inside slant, got the sack, jumped up to celebrate, and then Lane Jackson jumped on my fumble. Uh, good thing because it was right underneath me. I probably could have picked it up and scored six, but uh, like an idiot, I uh, celebrated a little too early. <laughs> I think that's what he's picking on me for. But we recovered it. Gotcha. Lane Jackson, right place, right time, jumped on it for me. Nice timing. Good stuff. All right. On to uh, Wayne Irons. He said, uh, ask you about the Brotherhood WrestleMania at Miss V's in the <laughs> Ivy Garden and how many white uniforms were destroyed that day. Yeah, I think you might know uh, some of the people in that. Adam Ballard, I think, was one of them. Scooter Ross, I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we had some good times. If you ask Aaron Polanco and Scooter, they, uh, they did it once in the backyard, and uh, James Polanco, too. And in the backyard, though, what we didn't know is there's poison ivy in there, too. And they are, like, deathly uh, allergic yeah. to poison ivy. And they were on steroids, you know, yep. going to get docked. But, uh, yeah, we'd have some Royal Rumbles out <laughs> front of Ms. V's house. No alcohol involved at all, though. Nice. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, awesome. All right, the last few things that, that Wayne had to say. Um, that you were a Marine long before service selection. Um, by that, you know, taking care of friends, teammates, and family, always leading by example, eating last, um, all before the Marine Corps, that you always find the best qualities in people. Um, and you love them so intensely uh, that others can't help but to, to love them too. So, um, that you form the best teams. 
That is uh, humbling to hear. But, uh, you know, I just, I live my life in the way that I just hope, you know, people would treat me right. If you, if you treat people around you like you want to be treated. And I think it kind of goes to that uh, saying of, and I try and do it as much as I can now. If you, if you don't know the janitor as well as you know the people that are closest to you, then you're jacked up, right? Uh, I just have always tried to live like that. You know, we had Mr. G. I don't know if Mr. G was still around when you went yes, uh, cleaning, the, cleaning the yeah. locker room, right? But you did retire. Like if, you if, if you don't know, if you're not tight with Mr. G after all the stuff he's done for us, you're probably jacked up. Um, but yeah, this, it, good memories. And, you know, it's certainly humbling to hear him say that because I certainly didn't know I was going to go Marine Corps. Um, but, you know, as it got to the end there in service selection, right? Uh, it was just, I wasn't done being on a team and I, I went to, you know, the, on the ship and I did all this stuff in the summers and uh, saw the way the Navy operated and how the officer enlistment enlisted uh, relationship was. And I, I just wanted something more. And I never did like the, the leatherneck or anything like that. I never saw, never saw the real interaction between Marines and their enlisted. So it was like really just that, that aura of like what it was supposed to be. And I just kind of trusted in that, that it would be what it was supposed to be. And uh, it has been for me, and I've loved it. Nice. Awesome. Well, cool. That's my intro and a, a few memories. But here I turn it over to you and to tell your story, and then we'll chip away at, at some other questions throughout the, the content. So it's all you. All right. My story. It's not a lot to it, to be honest. Uh, small town, public school stop kid. And, and for the, I'm going to stop you real quick. At the uh, for the group, um, Adam's done a real good job of at saying like I'm nothing the whole time that I've been talking to him so far. So uh, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear the we want to hear you boast. So you try try to boast a little bit. And then... I'll just try and tell good stories. <laughs> there you go. All right, small town public kid. Uh, my mom was a teacher, and then she turned into a principal. So like there was never uh, good enough, like a B was not good enough. And I was not that smart. Um, my dad was a business entrepreneur. He started out uh, in textiles working in a factory and just decided that wasn't for him. And then I, our, our town didn't have a sports store. So when I was like three or four years old, he just sold everything, took out a loan, started a sports store in our town, which, uh, you know, was a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. Like if I needed new shoes, he's like, you see that bin over there that says clearance? He's like, you go get any pair of shoes you want. Uh, but then he used me as advertising too. So like, you know, that first set of rollerblades came out in 19, whatever. He's putting them on me and strapping them on and being like, you ride to the neighborhood until everybody in that neighborhood sees you. And, you know, every kid was going to get rollerblades the next day. <laughs> so it, it was nice. good in uh, both ways. Multi-sport athlete, which I encourage for my kids and everybody, you know, I never try and hamstring them to one thing. Uh, every sport gives you something, uh, whether it's an individual sport or team sport. So I was, uh, my dad really pressed me towards that. And I always did that. So multi-sport athlete, we were terrible at football in high school, but I mean, in high school, I was, I was doing football in the fall, rolling into wrestling. And then kind of in between wrestling and baseball was swimming, which I had a deal that I would do like two practices a week and I would swim in the meets. Cause my mom was a college swimmer. So like swimming year round wasn't an option when I was a kid. And then, and then we'd roll into baseball. So like there was no time to work out. So I was in the gym at five 30 in the morning as a, you know, 11th grader 
driving myself up to the, the YMCA to work out. And uh, that's just kind of what started it, multiple sports and just trying to be the best athlete you can. But when you get, and I'll talk about this later, when I you know get to naps and it's like a culture shock. I was a, a big fish in a small pond. Like, you know, you think you're good. And then you go to the naps like you did that first year and you're like, man, you start looking around like these dudes are big. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that was yeah. getting recruited. I think it was uh, Coach McKeon. I think he was a linebacker coach. Uh, he was gone by the time I got there. But he showed up in our living room after a game. And, you know, we started talking. And he's like, you know, we'd like to offer you. And I had a couple of different weird places. Yale and Harvard were one, which I don't I don't think I would have fit in very well there. But your other ones like Wofford, Furman, kind of some of those. And uh, I just wanted to play Division One football, pay for my college for me. And uh, that was kind of my goal. And uh, he walked in. He's like, yeah, we'd love you to play Division One football for us. And I'm like, sweet, let's do it. And he's like, well, your grades aren't quite there. So we're going to send you to this preparatory school. But don't worry, it doesn't count as a year of your eligibility. And I'm like, all right, cool, I'm in. He's like, well, there's this other thing after you graduate. You got to do this other thing. It's five years in the military. And I'm like, man, that's like a 10-year commitment. <laughs> And I'm like, all right, I'm in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened, right? And, you know, everybody's all proud of you, but you're like, I don't even know what I'm getting into right now. <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. So wrestler, that's cool. There's a few folks that, that did wrestling that I've talked to so far that they were really good. So, And they, they attributed the wrestling to a lot of their football success. Yeah, and it's just part of that multi, that's you know, multi-sport, like – it's going to teach you something to be a D lineman, right? Like wrestling can't be bad to be a D lineman. Yeah. I was a linebacker to start, by the oh, way, yeah. but I was too fat. I was too fat. So they moved me to lineman. Nice. That's like Matt Nishak too. Um, cool. We'll keep going. Uh, show up at naps, you know, talk about a culture shock, right? Uh, by the way, my wife now after 20 something years, right? Like, we dated the last six months of high school. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what more than 2% club is, 1% club, right? Like made it through naps, four years of Navy football. So, you know, she's as much as part of the brotherhood. And like when all those you were talking about, like change of command comes in, no one hugged me first. No one came to see me. It was all my wife because she, she's nice. part of the – she's been in it for so long and she knows everybody. Uh, you know, I just cool. – I got one of those it, too, so – Understand. It makes makes it special, man. It's a family thing, no doubt. Awesome. Yeah, so show up to naps in you know three two zoo. Show up and uh, it's a culture shock, right? Like that, that's a hard indoctrination. Like you think I thought plebe summer was hard. There's like no rules for them at naps. They were tough on us, and but I tell you, like that's where my journey started because like I never felt like. I was very good at looking out for other people. I always thought I was looking out kind of for myself. If I look back, I wasn't looking out for other people the way I should have been. And that's where I got my first education on how much it matters to take care of others before yourself. Because it follows you. Your reputation starts as soon as somebody meets you. And uh, yep. I think that's where I got my first like hard lesson in probably not being the best person I should have been. Gotcha. So you think that was like... When that, you know, at naps, you think that's where you kind of shifted your mindset or did it happen later down the road? I don't know. It's a it's a process, right? Like, I'm still learning. Um, there's still moments that I'm not proud of, you know, something I did or 
something like that. But I think that's where I first initially started to learn and started to pay attention. And the, and your reputation. Yes. yes. And, and it's okay. I tell guys this all the time. Like your relationships and your reputation matter. And it's don't be ashamed to cultivate that. It's okay. Yeah. Like it's okay to know, be aware of everything you do and how that's going to make someone think of you. And if it's a positive or a negative in their life. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like people are like, oh, I'm just trying. You're not fake. You're just aware. Yeah. No doubt. Good. Because I uh, actually have a, uh, a question written down around self-awareness towards the bottom. We'll keep going. We'll get back to it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I finished uh, NAPS. What was it? It's 2.0, right? 2.0 and go. And I will never That's forget cool. this number. I graduated with a 2.0083. And I nice. should have that tattooed on myself somewhere. Like, I don't even know how I made it, but uh, made it through there. Did my uh, 45 and 45 for underage drinking with all the other, you know, ballers, uh, which, you know, learned a lesson there. It's always nice 45 now. And 45. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? 45 days restriction, 45 days EPD, which was marching at naps, okay. marching around that square <laughs> in the freezing cold in the winter. Yes. With. With Kyle Eckel, Josh Pridham. Yep. Got it. We uh, we had a, a similar incident, but the the problem didn't make it that high there. So. Yeah. Yeah, we got busted. It was my fault. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. All right. Uh, so that's Naps going to the academy. What's next? Yeah, that's where you, you really start to meet Gitai, right? Like, so now you have experience. And I think this is where, like, I really initially started. Like, now I have something to offer people, right? Guys going through plebe summer. And you're like, I kind of know what I'm doing. Like, I can help and, and make people's lives easier and make them feel better. And I think that's where I initially was able to use that and, and start. Like, Aaron Planco, we were roommates some, some of the time in plebe summer. Um and, you know, the relationships start to, to, to bond and become special and uh, was able to do that through freshman year. We lived together most of the time and then we ended up staying together the rest of the four years. But uh, nice. Aaron Cox was another one of ours. He uh, he died in a Cobra crash in 2009. He was another one of our roommates. And uh, just that's where you make those bonds and really start to make the special stuff. And then football, right? Like. So then football starts and you, I've heard you talk about another podcast, but like how much weight do we lose in plebe summer? And now you're expected to roll in with these guys and, and get ready to ball. Um, I wasn't that good to yeah, start with. I was for the linemen for sure. Oh yeah. you And I was at that time I was a linebacker. I'll tell a story of how we got out. Coach Kelly kicked me out of the lock, the linebacker room. But uh, <laughs> yeah, then we had that transition, right? So freshman year we were, we were over. We didn't win a game. And it, that's, yep. that's tough, man. Like I wasn't, you know, traveling or anything like that. I was, you know, but I'll tell you what we did take. That was another time that we tightened up was the, the scout squad and the freshmen. Like we took our job serious. We were, we were ready to roll. Like we were hunting heads at practice and we would like get in fights in the nice. locker room, like seniors coming nice. after freshmen. Cause we went too hard at practice nice. and you're like, yeah, man, that's, that's a badge of honor. Let's, let's roll. <laughs> That's the best. See, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. we. I mean, and hey, I don't want to take the class of 04, the 03 football team, like Eddie Carthon and those guys like, man, Craig Candido. 
there's a lot of leadership there too. So like, it's always an argument who turned it around 04, 05. But I think, you know, it was our mentality between the whole team. We were tired of losing. We were ready to win. And if you weren't committed, get the fuck out. And that was the mentality. Yep. There's your title right there. <laughs> I like it. But cool. then, uh, yeah, the, then we turned over, right? So then Coach Johnson comes in. I told one story. Uh, I tried to give you one for Wayne or uh, Josh Smith, and he totally botched it. But Black Friday. So yes, Go. a dude to remain nameless, and this is like pretty close to the beginning of his time. I think it was. I think we were probably uh, either junior. I think we were so, we were sophomores. So we were sophomores, a guy from the freshman class. We used to, when when a girl would walk into team tables, everybody start throwing stuff and freaking out and being loud, being idiots like we were. Well, one time, this other person who we have not named to this day out loud throws a roll and hits a 06 captain in the Navy's daughter with a roll. And this immediately gets back to Coach Johnson. And he, walk, mm -hmm. he walks in. And he's like, air around the practice field. And we're like, oh, oh yeah. Man. <laughs> that's our Ricky. Like, that's our Ricky Bobby story right there. Dude, I, I was like, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and, and that was Black Friday. So he ran us and we had dudes quitting on the like standing up and walking off the field, quitting the team. Uh, mm. And that was Black Friday that everybody refers to. But Josh Smith's in such good shape, it probably didn't affect him as much. But uh, yeah. for us, that was a, it was a turning point. Like, if you didn't walk off on that day, we knew you were tough, so you were it. How many people walked off that day? You think more than mm -hmm. one? Yeah, I got. I know some more names too, but 10. it just yeah, You're not nah, it was, just like it was. Nah, it was less. It was a. It was a couple, and then a couple quickly after. They were like, you know what, this is not for me, and they either transferred, you know, or quit Navy, or. But that day definitely had an impact on a lot of our team, and if you said Black Friday, everybody's like, Oof. that was, and that was prior to the first fourth quarters. Like, we didn't even know what fourth quarters was at that point. We didn't get to spring ball yet. Gotcha. That was like a whole other thing. is different than fourth quarters. Oh, yeah. dude. Fourth quarters, man. Those first couple were a kick in the teeth. Yeah. Well, good. All right. So th that's the Navy football fourth quarters. What comes next? Anything else with Navy football before we can keep on moving? Nah, just uh, the impact too. like, you know, now looking back, right, like I'm not that far from retirement as a Marine. Looking back, like the best thing we could do for the Marine Corps at Navy is send good people back. And we had Colonel Thomas, who's now in charge of the ethics department. He was our O-Rep as a colonel. And then we had J.D. Baker. And you want to talk about like dudes to emulate and, and look up to and be like, man, I want to do that. Those are the guys. And I think that's kind of the mistake the Marine Corps makes is we don't always send necessarily the right people back to be that person that mids look up to and want to be, you know? Yeah. What made your uh, O rep and uh, E rep JD Baker, the, the guy, the go-to guys there that probably had an impact on you to, to go into the Marine Corps, I'm guessing. So coach Tom, it's just the way he carries himself, right? Like you, you're very used to seeing very senior officers at Navy. Like you see admirals, you see captains, and then you see. Well, first of all, he was a Division Two football player, and he was like a mountain of a man, Colonel Thomas. 
And I'm sure he, he was probably the ethics dude when you were there. He's a Dr. Thomas in the ethics department now. But he, uh, you know, he's just like this huge dude and he's a, a colonel in the Marine Corps and he carried himself so much differently than anybody else on the yard. And then Gunny Baker came in and he's like a living legend, you know, like he falls off, you know, he's doing leather neck and he falls off two, two stories in combat town and then runs a Marine Corps marathon. Not, you know, not long after, like when I met him, he was in a wheelchair and a back brace. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's like, no, I can do this. And, uh, you know, he, there's a story he walks in, he slapped the doctor told him he'd never do that. You know, he sl walks in, he slaps the metal on the uh, doctor's desk and he's like, here's your doctorate <laughs> after he ran it, <laughs> you know, not that long nice. after he'd had the injury. But yeah, those dudes, you know, he's a sniper coming out of Iraq, you know, wears a, a sniper round on his neck. You know, he's like what every kid imagines is a Marine. And uh, and also, though, he would if we would get in trouble, he would go find that gunny or whatever that was giving us a hard time. And we knew he was taken up for us. And then he would come get in our ass. And, and we were okay with it. Like, you know what? Yeah. Hold me accountable. But you knew he was also going to take after you and, and take care of you. Yeah. No, that's that's legit. And I I definitely appreciate that type of leadership as well. Especially out of a boss, too. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission type of senior leader. <laughs> right? Decentralize, yeah. go, and when you make a mistake, I'm going to get in your ass a little bit, but at the same time, sleep on it, and um, you'll be better for it tomorrow. So, well, cool. Um, how about, uh, I guess, after Navy football, graduate, go on to... Yeah. Why flying? Why'd you want to fly? I don't know. I, I took the ASVAB and I passed. <laughs> so they're like, it was an option. Okay, so you took the test uh, and you passed? Yeah, yeah. Or not ASVAB, whatever <laughs> that, te that test is we have to take. But uh, yeah, I knew I wanted to be a Marine because well, it was it, just, so. it's not that hard, Tony. <laughs> uh, well, hey. I'm gonna go you have to, I think you just have to use your, you have to use your hands. You have to use your hands more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I probably That's... barely passed it. But, you know, I knew I wanted to go to Marine Corps. Uh, so I just put Marine Air, Marine Ground, and, and what I got, I wasn't going to be upset with either one, uh, and ended up in Marine Air, and uh, and then like you still have more decisions to make, right? Like you, you still go through TBS, and you, it's just that same thing. First guy in the class gets his pick, second guy gets his pick, kind of like TBS. There is still that first, third, second, third stupid stuff, you know. <laughs> it's not just straight up, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And then like right, right, if you look at the time frame when I'm going through TBS, right, that's 2005. My company commander, the major, uh, just went up Ambush Alley, led an infantry battalion up there and fought through Ambush Alley to get Jessica Lynch, Bronze Star. My SPC was the tanker that went all the way to Baghdad in his tank and pulled down the Saddam statue with his tank recovery tank. You know, so that's the kind of guys that we were surrounded with at TBS and they're like SBCs and company commanders. So it was, it was pretty special time. So how did TBS go for you then? Other than that, like, was there a, a fun TBS story? Because you had some yeah, pretty so there, extreme leaders there. Yeah, and there, there's this dude, Ryan Berry. So he's a B-back uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina. Not a Napster. He went straight in. We went from 2001 when we went to the academy 
all the way to 2013, and we never left each other's side. Same deployments for the most part. Uh, same, we went through flight school together. TBS, we were same platoon at TBS, same squads, like because we were the machine gun squad. They give the two biggest dudes in the platoon. They're like, you and you, you're going to trade off every other yeah. week being the machine gun squad. And we're like, all right, we'll just trade back and forth. Yeah. yeah, 240, humping the 240. Uh, yeah, so Ryan and I were yeah. all the way through. Then we went through TBS together, uh, flight school together, same squadron the whole time, you know, kind of growing up, all the way till we were like the most advanced you could be in the squadron. And we were like the day crew night through weapon and tactics instructors in Afghanistan. So, you know, it was an awesome like 12-year stint with another Navy football player and we just never separated. It was pretty awesome. Cool. Uh, backing up to your, you know, post TBS, you go to flight school, you get to, did you get to choose your platform? Like 53s, was that your first choice, second choice? How'd that work? Kinda, you just, it's the same thing as like a lot of the Marine Corps, right? Like the fir first guy gets his choice, second guy gets his choice, third guy gets his choice, but it's all like what's available that week or that month for that pick, you know, yeah. so they're not, might, might even be a jet slot or whatever, not to mention, I didn't even have the grades for jets. So you just go through each so little what school. What was your and priorities going into that? I, I, I did actually want to be a helicopter pilot. I didn't know what at the time, but I kind of want to be a helicopter pilot. And it, I think a part of that, the reason, and I pick on my little brother all the time cause he's a jet pilot, but uh, I'm not very interesting. So I wanted a crude aircraft. Like if he's an F-35 pilot and I'm like, you see anything cool today? And he'll be like, yeah, dude, I saw this. And I'm like, who'd you tell? Cause like there is, you're by yourself, you know, like I'm not that, I'm not that interesting. So I want to be like, bro, did you see I that? I tried calling him before this. Actually, I, I, cause Alex was in my uh, company at the time. One, yeah. one year ahead of me, I tried calling him right before this. I was like, man, that's another one I forgot to call, but he didn't answer. So yeah, I tried to call him. He didn't answer me either. So it's normal. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I mean, Fun. so you pick that, right? And then you go to Helos and you pick Helos and like, it's very much like whatever's in that month. Um, but the reason I really wanted 53s was heavy lift assault, carry Marines into combat. And I wanted a crude plane so that when you're doing cool shit, you can be like sharing it with friends, you know? And, and it's very much like that in the community, like our crew chiefs and the pilots are very tight. You know, you spend hours and hours with each other talking and stuff and, you get to be very, very tight, and that's kind of yeah. what I wanted. So it worked out. I, I, uh, before I started this podcast, probably like a year prior to it, I got on one with a guy named um, Nate Gladden. He was an Air Force guy, and he was a, a crew chief. And he talked about that and stories of being with the guys on a bird and it's pitch black, and you know, you're flying in areas that are you know, kind of dangerous and, and how that bond was, was really cool as a crew chief amongst the, uh, um, you know, the crew. So, uh, the perspective that I got there from him was the exact same thing. So you go to 53s and you know, you do some time in Miramar. You go to, let's see, you do your, your couple deployments. Anything else you want to talk about the two Afghan deployments, the MU, before we get into the presidential? No, nah, I mean, that, that time was awesome, right? That's like when you're a captain, like 
doing the thing like you you know it's like what you grew up like thinking it was supposed to be like that's the time that you get to do it so you know i did an 09 afghanistan deployment it's like wild wild west right inserted three five at the end of that deployment you know pretty famed story up there in sangin um yeah and tom then Schumer. i you know him? yeah no nah, i don't you know tom Schumer? i don't okay yeah gotcha. but uh yeah inserted those dudes left did a uh, mute deployment which was awesome went all over asia and then by that time which was great right because you got a break from from afghanistan and then so by the time i went back as a you know like at this point now i'm like the weapons and tactics instructor i'm like you know whatever like the big dude like you're know, planning all the missions flying all the hardest missions and now like i'm excited to be back i'm not burned out it was awesome uh and got to do that it was you know some of the most rewarding leading and leadership that you can do in your career is that kind of that captain tour when you you're at the top of your game so can you remember during those that whole time that entire period was there a specific moment that you can remember and think wow i just grew up right now because of this thing yeah so many but uh there's one that like Pick one. i i did there you go i did i did something that was uh and I, this is a, a good lesson like and I still look up to this. This the, he was my commander at the time. He just got out of the Marine Corps as a colonel, as a mute commander. But <clears throat> I did something really stupid, right? Like I wasn't supposed to go into this place during the day. Uh, I had made one hit to it at night, but I didn't. I couldn't fit all the stuff in the fifty-three that they needed. So I was gonna. I was like, I'll go back. I'll make one more run before daylight. So I go back, fill the plane up. Of course, it takes longer than I expect. <clears throat> I'm rolling around, coming into the zone. It's like sun is up, you know, like I got skids behind me. I got two skids over, you know, perched on each side. I roll in and just RPGs just everywhere. And I'm like, oh man, I fucked up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I do some crazy maneuver, right? You get in, you get the mission done, you get takeoff shot at again. And, and Hey, God bless the skids behind you. Right. Like before my gunners could turn their guns, just hammering them. Uh, you know, and that's, that's really like, that's that moment when you're like, holy crap, we just did that. But then I get back, right? I get back and I shut down my plane. And my best my best buddy, Wes Matthews, comes up to the plane. He's like, hey, bro, Skipper wants to see you as soon as you get out of your plane. I'm like, how does he know already? <laughs> how did he find out? And, uh, yeah, go in. He takes me out back. He literally took me out back. I thought I was going to get beaten. Uh, he, and he looks at me. He's like, Mongo, you know, I never want a WTI that I would ever have to push harder. I always want to rein him in. This is me reining you in. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> and, you know, and that That's leadership, the kind of leader you want, right? dude, that awesome. it made such an impact on me compared to if he had just chewed me a new one. Like I, I disappointed dad and I, I, I was really upset mm -hmm. with myself and uh, it made such an impact compared to if he had just chewed me out. Awesome. Cool. And then you go to uh, fly Marine one. That's a pretty cool gig. You you do five years of that. So you spent, what, three years of that with Obama, flying Obama, and then <clears throat> maybe one or two years with Trump. Yeah. Sound right? Yeah. Dude, it, it's an awesome experience. Uh, it's a little hidden gem in the Marine Corps uh, to be able to get to do that. It's an honor. Uh, but not only that, like, you get to travel the world. I mean, it's everything that, you know, you join to travel, right? And, like, you can pack it all into four or five years. 
because uh, Marine One is everywhere he is. Whether you see Marine One or not, there there's an aircraft, you know, ready to support. And uh, so everywhere that the president goes, it's just this huge operation. And uh, you get to travel with yeah. him and you get some time off normally in, you know, some really crazy countries and do crazy things. And it's just a constant uh, over and over again, these like once in a lifetime opportunities and you just keep finding yourself in them. So it's pretty awesome. Nice. So when you say constantly following the president, say the president takes Air Force One from here, you know, from D.C. area to the West Coast. Does that mean Marine One pops up on the West Coast like you travel in parallel? Yeah, so Ready they're going to get go wherever or they're going to take a C-17 out in front of them. So if you just think about okay. the this is just the helicopters, right? So this is not including uh, the communications and secret service and all that stuff. This is just the helicopters. So if the president leaves the white house, that's going to be three aircraft and three crews that are going to fly him from the white house to Andrews. He's going to get on air force one, say it's a lift in LA. Now you've got two helicopters and three V 22s in LA ready to receive him and fly him wherever he's going to go. Then, he never usually flies back, right? He's going to make a stop or two on the way back. So then he leaves L.A. So you do two lifts, call it, there and back to Burbank probably in L.A. Then you're going to fly to Colorado where you're going to have a plane ready for him, whether you're flying him or not. There's a plane there. So there's a plane in Colorado where he yeah. stops for a quick speech. And then there's a spot in, in, you know, there's another one in Illinois where he stops. Those two stops on the way back. Now that same night, He's back and needs to go from Andrews to the White House. So you got three more crews at Andrews to fly him back to the White House. So you start counting up helicopters so you and say, people. Yeah, the, the three crews is, is becoming a theme now. So three crews, two of them are what, decoys? One is the one with the... Yeah, they all have different missions, but uh, usually like... If uh, you're just flying around the National Capital Region, you're going to have three aircraft, uh, three white tops. So either H6, the, the VH-60 or the VH-3, which is what you're used to seeing on TV. And then uh, if you're on the road somewhere like L.A. or something and doing a lift, you're probably going to have two of the white tops and then three V-22s. So if you're on the road, say you're on the West Coast, you're using a, a different aircraft? To carry him yep. in versus the green one that everybody knows on TV? No, nope, same planes. We just got, there's multiple same of them. Plane. Gotcha. So how many total of those are there? A bunch. 21. I, that's not one you can talk about. Gotcha. I don't know. It might be Googleable. I don't know. But yeah. Gotcha. Cool. What's your favorite mission that you had to do with the president at any time? Doesn't matter which president, but just like the coolest. Uh Dude, Experience. so many. I mean, I did like a Myanmar, Kenya. Uh, I, probably one of the coolest was 70th anniversary in Normandy uh, and flew on Omaha Beach on the 70th yes. anniversary in Normandy. Uh, Peru, you know, uh, side of a volcano. So is that another, the Normandy, the Normandy experience, was that another one where y'all flew across the pond and then found a helicopter that looked green? Like, no, you're you're flying. They're the same they, planes. It's just like they're all HMX planes, and then we put them in C-17s. So we'll take a inside of the C-17. 
Yeah. Yeah. So when we were talking about moving those aircraft around, that's a dedicated C-17 for every plane too. So you just think about how big of a, uh, an operation it is to move the president around. It's wild. The amount of money we spend. Yeah. You're using a plane to move helicopters to the location where he's going on Air Force One to be short-term mobile from that location. Yeah. Yeah, so 70th anniversary of Normandy was a cool one, right? Like, there's I got the picture. It's like, after his speech, this was Obama, he uh, he, he asked this uh, famous World War II Omaha Beach veteran, like, hey, do you want to, they were going to Sword Beach to the British uh, ceremony after the one on Omaha. And he's like, would you like to ride with me? And it's this Sergeant Major Rock Merritt, who's like this, you know, hero of Omaha Beach, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a through and through assault support guy. Like, I, I love taking people in and out of combat. And I, I get to fly Rock Merritt off Omaha Beach on the 70th anniversary. And I'm like, if I could have been here the first time he was here, <laughs> I bet it would have been really useful for him <laughs> to, be, you know, to have a helicopter and yeah, have some air mobility. For sure. But, you know, like, what an oh, honor, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, that was, that was cool. It's crazy how technology develops so fast, especially nowadays. It's For nuts. sure. Cool. Any other cool trips? I think the D-Day one, like the one you just <clears> talked <throat> about, I think probably got my uh, goosebumps poking up the most. So anything about yeah. that one? Probably my uh, my very last one with uh, President Trump. He uh, It was the Naval Academy graduation in 2018 when he spoke. Um, so it was my last lift was to fly him to graduation, which was super cool. I've been doing it for five years and, uh, and we, I get that lift, you know, I pretty much begged for it, I think, and then got it, was able to do it. You know, one of like five guys who could have done it and, uh, <clears throat> flew, landed them right. We're, we're getting ready to go. We're flying over the stadium. We're going to land on hospital point. <clears throat> and, uh, the military aides, the one kind of on the radio with you who's sitting beside him and the military aides like, Hey, boss wants to know if we can do a circle around the stadium. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, yeah. So, you know, stadium's full. He's getting right. You know, he's rolling in right on time. I rip a, I start ripping a circle out his window around the stadium and, you know, everybody's just freaking out in the stadium. Uh, and I think he got pretty pumped about that and then nice. go land. Right. He goes and makes a speech get back on uh, and we get start flying back. And I messed up the Blue Angels timing for their flyover because he asked for the circle, which I love. Another Navy football brother, John Fay, XO of the Blue Angels right now. Nice. Shout out for him. Yeah. Uh, you get him on yeah. too. Yeah. XO of the Blue Angels. I think he's busy. I'm sure he is. Cool. But, uh, another, another V-boy there. So we're on the way back, right? And you wouldn't think, like, nobody wants – to shake the president's hand like a girl, you know, or like, you know, not like a weak handshake, right? No fish handshakes for the president. So like yeah. he shook, you know, what is it? A thousand people at graduation, right? And on the way back, they have like ice, they're icing his hand. Cause nice. he, you know, every, everybody just, you know, wants to get that one good shake, but he, he has to, yeah. he has to do it a thousand times. Yeah. I and shook then, uh, uh, Bush's hand and, uh, Obama's hand. Bush was very weak. I was kind of disappointed. Bush was uh, uh, our speaker at our our graduation. Nice. Yeah, he's a weak handshake. Maybe he needed some ice. Yeah, uh, dude. Ob Ob 
<laughs> thousand people, <laughs> man. Is a little bit stronger. I know it's a, it's a lot. You know, maybe one day I can go through a drill and do a thousand handshakes. <laughs> yeah, a thousand handshakes. But at the same time, like a handshake means a lot, right? So yeah, gotta get really so, good at shaking hands if you're going to become the president. <laughs> so then we're flying back. You know, he's getting his hand iced, right? So he's not. Uh, and this is a little bit like selfless, right? Like, and I'm not political at all. Like, this is literally just people. Like, you know, I knew both presidents, enjoyed both of them. And uh, we're flying back, and I shut down the plane on the lawn, and my family was there to watch my last lift. And uh, and I shut down the plane. You can hear, right? Like, it's a very quiet plane, especially when you shut, you know, one of those engines off. So I kind of like peek my my headphone back because I'm going to turn around and shake his hand and say, "Have a great day." And uh, all I hear is Mongo, where's Mongo? And evidently he's a Blazing Saddles fan as well. And uh, he's like, get back. He's like, get back here, Mongo. And I'm like, oh God, like, what have I done? You know, like, I think I'm in trouble. So I like, I'm like, all right. Like I start unbuckling my seatbelt. I'm climbing out of the seat. Like the plane still like needs attention. So I got a co-pilot. I'm like, you got it, bro. Um, So I go back there and he's like, I hear your family's here for your last lift. And I was like, yes, sir. That's true. I appreciate that. He's like, I want to meet him. And, you know, I didn't even notice, but the military aide had jumped out the back door of Marine One and like go that goes out, gets him. And uh, I like grab my cover, which I'm happy I remembered as I'm getting off on the White House lawn with the president. And like he brings my family out and is gracious enough to like take pictures with us, meet my family, which was super cool. You know, and like just uh, so selfless little things that, you know, it was two minutes of someone else's day but it can last a lifetime for you and your family, you know? Yeah. No, I think I saw those pictures when I Googled your name for sure. Awesome pictures. If you haven't seen those, everybody listening, Google Adam Horn, United States Marine Corps, and you'll see them. Awesome pictures with uh, President Trump that day. So you heard the story. Now go see the picture. So awesome. Cool. And then, so you leave... The, the presidential um, Marine One gig after five years, and then you check into your new unit as an operations officer, which you end up climbing to XO to CO there, but inserting as the OPSO, how'd that go for you? It was good. You know, it, like it's very challenging to leave a place like HMX and, and doing that kind of mission and go back to the fleet, right? Uh, the attrition rate out of there is not great for guys that are like, see, you know, better and things they could be doing than going back to the fleet and getting back to the grind. But for me, it's all like, and and I'm sure like I'm on this other train, you know, if you were asked my biggest challenge, right? Like I'm getting ready to transition after a long time. And this is kind of one of those moments where I I was either going to transition or go back to the fleet. And and for me, it it always falls back to who are you going to work with? And there was a guy that was taking command and was like, Hey, I want you to come work for me. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm in like discussion over thought process, you know, concerns over, like I'm going to work for somebody I want to work for. And, uh, that's what made all the difference for me was just having somebody to, to look forward to going to work every day to make, you know, it, the organization could have been terrible. It wasn't, but like the organization could have been terrible, but I'd have gone to work every day for that guy. And uh, that was kind of the most important yeah. thing for me was working with good people, feeling rewarded uh, for what you do. And and that's what I got there. Gotcha. Cool. 
so you step into the opposite position. Anything else that was a, a challenge going into that other than like you got a, a good boss to work for, you're excited about doing that? No, nah, it's just you go from being uh, like the gnarly captain who can do anything right. And now you're like the major who you can either be a dick uh, like, and it's all like what you grew up yeah. with, right? Like you can either be the problem or you can be helpful. And, uh, that's where you kind of make a decision, like who you're going to be as a leader. Uh, do you want them to look up to you and like, not want to let you down or do you just want to hammer them all day until they do what you want? So that was kind of the learning experience for me gotcha. is building that team into what I wanted. When you go from OPSO to EXO, what did you learn as an EXO that you didn't understand yet as an OPSO. Is there anything there? Yeah. So OPSO, you're still making the sausage, right? Like you're making a flight schedule. You're making what you're making training, right? EXO is where you, yeah, you learn, do. you learn what makes the squadron run. And a lot of that's paperwork, right? Like, and there's this point in your career where like a lot of captains, you'll be like, I don't do paperwork. I hate paperwork. But if you're, but you're at the same time in the same tongue, Say, I, I take care of people. You're like, wait a minute, man. Like, there's a point where doing good paperwork and making sure people get paid, get their leave, get taken care of, get their BAH, that is taking care of people. And if you, you can't say both, you have to either make yourself good at something you don't like. Nobody likes paperwork, but that's where you learn that skill is yeah. where you're like, I, if I say I'm going to take care of people, that means being good at that stuff that I don't like. So I got, you know, got as good as I could at it real quick. Awesome. And then from XO to CO. Yeah. So that one's a little, changes there. that one's a little more uncommon, right? Like OPSO to XO is not a big jump. Like you're in the, you know, it's just a, a, a fleet up unit. Uh, I was really, really fortunate because uh, the CO thing is board selected by, you know, a bunch of senior officers. Um, and you just kind of, you, you write your wish list, but you know, no idea what you're going to get. And, uh, I just happened to get slated for the squadron I'd been in for a couple of years and I was the XO. So what makes that challenging, right? Is one, you better hope you've made the right relationships with your junior officers and enlisted because you don't get to go away yeah, and step into the swap. No, nope. Yep. You're not stepping into something new. So like if you screwed a guy way back, now you're his commander and you, you're going to have to deal with that. Um, so that was no, unique. And that the other part of that is like, uh, it was great because if they were jacked up and screwed up and not doing something right, I made them that way. So it's my fault. There's nobody to blame because I made yeah. them that way. So that was that was pretty you unique. Gotta own it. Yeah, you got to own it, and like, and that's why you know it's good to bring the best piece of advice I got was find an XO that's not like you. Don't find somebody like you because nice. they're not they're not going to balance you. He said, find somebody who's yes. going to balance you and be different. But if you find yourself, it's going to hurt the unit. And uh, that paid off for me. I love that. That's a good takeaway for me so far. I like that quote. So, yeah. And then as far as the 53K stuff, like, you know, there's been so many commanders in the past five, 10 years that have thought they were going to get to be the first 53K King Stallion commander. And, uh, like I just fell into it. Like I'm the idiot that just happened to be there, and it just the time worked that? out for for people that don't know the the first 53 king. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps has had 53 A's, 53 D's, 
53Es is what we're majority flying right now. We've been flying them since like 1992 or so. And they're getting old. That's what got us through Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, we've been we've been flying them really hard for a lot of years. And they're, they're just the workhorse of the Marine Corps, right? Um, yes. And the Marine Corps is now What's decided about like, the K? it's a totally different plane. Like we sh- we should have never oh, called sorry. it the 50. We should have never called it a 53. It's a, it looks Call the same. It 54 instead? Yeah, it looks, <laughs> it looks kind of the same, but it's fly by wire, all modern technology. Everything is very, very different. Uh, there's no common parts commonality. Like when you went from A to D or 53D to E, they all had some parts commonality. It was an upgrade. The 53K mm-hmm. is a completely different aircraft, different beast, all fly by wire, uh, modern technology, modern when you aircraft. Say fly by a wire, what does that mean? Yeah. So, like in older, heli- you know, any old, older helicopter airplane, there's like mechanical bell cranks that go to the, <laughs> the pitch surfaces on the aircraft, right? Like there's mechanical things between the pilot and the, and the rotor head yeah. or, or in a plane. You move your, you know, yeah. pedals, the wire. Yeah, my wire is moving. So well, well, no, like, um, and when you move the pedals, there's a bell crank and a rod and a wire, like physical, mechanical things, right? In a fly-by-wire aircraft, yeah. it's it's electrons. Like, it means a wire, like a wire with electrons flowing through it. So there is no connection between the pilots. It's a joystick and then a servo yeah. way back getting inputs from the joystick through a computer. So there's no mechanical gotcha. connection between the pilot and the the control surface, which gotcha. is like most no, your modern airliners. Yeah, most your modern airliners and stuff. You know, they're all fly by wire, right? But not many modern helicopters are. There's it's a very new thing. Gotcha. Thanks for breaking it down for me. Um, got it. So new aircraft. You got to lead the. New aircraft's first squadron? Yeah. Yeah, so we accepted all the first. We got rid of all our 53Es, you know, and took a lot of pride in that and made sure that the what we were transferring to the rest of the fleet was a really good product. And then uh, took the first 53Ks, which makes a lot of news and stuff. And if you know me, like, I, it is the worst position you could have put me in was to have a lot of interviews and, like, senior leaders coming in. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like the worst thing that? you could have ever done. Oh, it's just not me, man. Like I don't, I don't want, I don't want that in my life. Um, I avoid it as the best possible way I can. I don't like speaking in front of people, particularly. Right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you know, but you grind, right? Like you want to represent the unit. You want to, you know, you want to get better at something you're not good at. Just throw yourself into the fire, yeah. and you, you'll find a way. And uh, that's what we did. And awesome. this, the squadron crushed it. We flew What's safely. That? awesome the uh that whole conversion after you you know decommissioned all this old aircraft you got new ones and going through that whole process with your team what was the biggest takeaway with the new technology because a lot of people are going to be going through something currently whatever they're doing with the new technology they're like oh i don't know what to do with this new thing like where was your biggest you know challenge or you know where you felt uncomfortable with with that conversion and how'd you figure it out or adapt to it. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of three things. The first is there's this saying in the aviation community, like NATOPS is written in blood. And that is because our NATOPS is like our Bible for an aircraft, right? Like it's everything we know. 
everything we study is in that natops is everything about an aircraft we say that it's written in blood is because people crash and die and then we write into natops don't do that or know more about this system because this could happen you know we safely flew that aircraft and brought it in with no mishaps no issues and that was like my number one goal is safely bring this thing this thing in and bring everybody home and uh, we were able to do that so like if you want to talk about like my proudest accomplishment it's bringing everybody home and and getting the mission done at the same time and then second like when have you ever seen a new piece of technology as soon as it comes out work perfectly it never does right like it never you always buy so like i was talking to someone else today about you know new cars like you never buy the new car that has the brand new body style the first year. Give yeah. it a couple of years. Let them know, work the kinks out. A couple of years. <laughs> you smoke it. Exactly. So, so you had to go through that with this new, with this new well, uh, CH well, fifty three or fifty four. The thing is a beast, right? Like the thing is incredible, but it still has bugs. But my biggest challenge yeah. was taking people who like they've been flying this other aircraft for years and years and years, right? And just getting them to buy in, buy in. Like, I got it. it you don't have to tell people it's perfect. I, that's not a problem. I don't, I don't worry about that. But also tell them the good things it does. Like, buy into this thing and let's make it right. And it's our job that if something's messed up, we're going to write it down. We're going to fix it. And then we're going to educate everybody else. Like, that's our job. So that other squadrons Was don't have to go through this sound- was there something that you found that was a, a key way to figure out how to get folks to buy into the new platform or I think it's just message, 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 right? Like if people don't believe what oh, you're saying, well, but if people don't think you believe it, then they're not going to believe it. Right. So you got to convince yourself yeah. first. And, and if you don't believe, right, like by no means am I saying, if you don't believe in something, say you do, I'm just saying, if you believe yeah. in it, make the people around you believe in it. And then third, be careful what you say, because not only you are listening, (laughs) cause you will listen to what you say. Right. And and double check that one. Uh, but your tongue is the strongest weapon you have, especially with your, uh, your troops. Right. And then the last big challenge was as we were doing this, right? Like we have other units shutting down. So we're getting, people, we had this very tight knit group, right? I went opso, exo, co. So I knew everybody in that unit. And then as we start transitioning about three other units, you know, there's some shutting down, some transferring to us, but I get about people from four different units. And now I'm fighting to build that into one cohesive unit. And that was probably the biggest challenge for me was, you know, what I was used to this tight unit. And now I've got these large numbers of other units coming in with their culture and their, uh, you know, everything that they have, like making that into one unit is really, really tough. And that was the biggest challenge. And you got to get creative. Like we did a lot of crazy stuff outside of work because that's when you get to know everybody, right? Like it's, it's when you go on the road or you deploy, like that's when you get to know people. And uh, we were able to do that and, and make it as cohesive as I could when we were there. And it's climate versus culture. Like, you can change climate with like a commander, a sergeant major, right? Like, but if you build a culture in a unit, that's what will endure. Like a culture endures. Like if you have a culture of excellence, a culture of getting the job done, that's what will endure a bad apple. 
Like you get a bag. Climate can change when you get these new people in. Like climate might change for a while. It's going to be a different feel. But if you have a strong culture, it'll endure through that. And then, you know, you'll, the other people will figure it out and join in your culture. Gotcha. Awesome. Uh, pretty, pretty outstanding path uh, story so far. Uh, you're checking into a new unit now. You just checked into a new unit. Um, you know, did the turnover thing with the new CO for that unit there with the, the new CH53K King. Um, throughout that whole process, there's another piece of your story that you mentioned. Um, and that was how well Navy football guys do in the Marine Corps and, um, you know, how the ideal midshipman, the ideal, um, you know, hall guy versus um, a really good, you know, Navy footballer that may not be doing it right. Like a good example for me is, you know, I talked to Andy Lark on an episode previous. He and I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I got out early, but he's doing pretty dang good in the Marine Corps. So what are you seeing there um, in your role now as, as Navy football guys um, younger than, than you or what are you seeing? Yeah. And I, I had the opportunity to listen to some of these episodes before and I kept finding myself just hoping that some of the younger guys, like even if they're out of the Academy, but God, if some of the dudes at the Academy could listen to some of these, like there's so much good advice and uh, what I would tell them is don't think because you weren't a good midshipman, you weren't a perfect uh, academic scholar at Navy. The things that you've learned on the, the sports field, whether it be football, rugby, lacrosse, wrestling, uh, those things translate. You are far richer than the 4.0 aerodynamics major, I promise, in the Marine Corps' eyes. Like, uh, you know, I – I think I graduated with a 2.57, like, and it doesn't matter. Like there's plenty of criminal justice majors from, you know, UCF at, in the Marine Corps that are just incredible Marine officers. And like, I just hope that like those young guys, if that's what the one thing I could tell, like the team, if I went to talk to them, which I've got to do a couple times is don't feel like you're trying to work up to them. Like you're there. You've got so many more skill sets from being a good teammate from, you know, living that life, understanding what it takes to be good, working the grind, understanding sacrifice, like that stuff, I would trade any 4.0, you know, battalion commander at the Naval Academy, I would trade for you. And uh, just getting to observe and watch other athletes and especially Navy football, you know, and how well they perform and excel in the Marine Corps has been just awesome to watch. Awesome. Do you have any uh, Navy footballers that came up under to you while you were the CO there that you got to see? Uh, Mentor? No, no football guys, but definitely athletes. And, uh, like, I had a bunch of crew females who crush it. Like, absolutely some That's of the best officers we've had. Um, you know, it's just stuff like that, man. You know what? They know how to grind. They had to be a good teammate. Yeah. And they take care of others before themselves. And like, that's the stuff yeah. that matters. A little bit of selflessness goes yeah. a long way. Plus you do selflessness plus a really hard event or a really hard marathon. 
learn a lot yeah. of things. So awesome. Cool. And, and where you at today? Anything there with uh, you just checked into a new unit? Anything there you want to talk about? No, nah, it's just good. It's, 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 it's like it's great to stay relevant and uh, be able to help. So we do operational tests. So if this new plane, like not, it hasn't been done yet, we'll go do it. Like whether it's like letting people pair, you know, do pair ops out the back or helo cast out the back, we'll go do it. And then we'll write the procedures and we'll hand it to the fleet and say, you know, go forth and do great things. Uh, so that's my role now is getting to, gotcha. you know, so there's a lot of experienced people there, you know, managing risk, making sure you're doing things the smart way. And then, uh, but it still pays off yeah. for the fleet because then you write the procedure and hand it to them and now they get to go do it. Gotcha. And then they'll come back and say, Hey, this procedure is either great or horrible. And yeah, you hope they don't <laughs> want to experience it. And then you take <laughs> yeah. that back. Okay. Well, you, you hope they don't, but when they, have you experienced that yet? So we haven't, I mean, I think no. they just want us to do fat more, like faster and more, right? Like they always want more and more and more. And like, we're trying to do stuff as fast as we can to, to open it up to them. And that's the good part though. Like the only other squadron with this aircraft is the one I just gave up command of. So there, there's gotcha. a very open relationship. If they need something, they just ask, you know, and like, what well, will work and make it happen. So it helps gotcha. to be, you know, it's relationships. It's like you said it before, man, it's all relationships. Yeah. Your net worth is your net worth, Right. So, um, all right, let's get into a, a coach story so from back from the the navy football days do you have a, a certain thing that stands out to you from a coach that you know got into you or had this this crazy quote or anything like that well i mean i think you get on zach galleon's page and get all the coach johnson ones right um <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh do you have anything specifically that you remember getting called out for by chance no nah, I, I wasn't that good so i wasn't on the field enough to get called out but uh, <laughs> I will tell. So, okay, Co Coach Kelly was our linebacker coach at the time. And yes. it was me and Dustin Elliott. And we call him Jumbo. Me and Jumbo. And we're getting ready to go to Tulane. And it's uh, J.P. Losman was the quarterback. We were going down to play at Tulane. We were sophomores. And, uh, you know, everybody's grinding, right? We're all fighting to be stars. Not, I, the guys I'm competing is Bobby McLaren, Lane Jackson, TJ Costello, like just studs, right? Like I'm never going to excel in this group, but, uh, you know, Jumbo and I are in there and we're, we're the two biggest linebackers and, uh, probably slowest too. Maybe not. I was probably the slowest Jumbo was faster than I was, but, uh, coach Kelly walks in and he like looks us dead in the eyes, like getting us all pumped up. He's like, you two want to play this week? And we're like, hell yeah, coach put me in. He's like, get your ass up to the defensive line room. <laughs> and it was because it was a it was a fast, it was a fast quarterback who scrambled a lot. And yeah. so they wanted to they wanted to rush in. Yeah. Linebackers on the defensive end. Yeah. Two rush ins. And then we played and it was awesome. Like I got, you know, some of my first real playing time, right? But at the same time, they're like, you'll come right back next week. He lied to us. Never went back. Didn't happen. Nice. That's fun. You got a good PJ quote or story there? You know, you got to experience the first couple of years of PJ. Yeah, I mean, there there's so many out there. I don't think I could top any of them. But you know, it's like I was telling you, man, I don't think anybody like be like, I love you as a person, PJ. You were so nice. Like, you were great. But uh, I don't think there's a single one of us who would be like, you weren't a good coach. Like, he, 
solid coach, man, and like turned the program around. And but man, the stuff that would come out of his mouth, it puts you down. Yeah, I uh, so I also went back and I looked through some of the archives of Navy football to, to find something cool. I, I saw I came across this article, and at first glance, you know, it was back in two thousand four. It was right after the spring practice spring game that whole thing because spring is is intense with johnson yeah um, and the article said paul johnson named one of the hot head coaches by american football monthly and i'm thinking hot head yeah that's exactly him no that's not what the article is talking about it was talking about how he was hot like as in on fire that year of 2004, after a few years there at the Naval Academy, because y'all went from the 0 and 10 to the 10 win season that year after that spring. Um, I just thought it was funny because I, I, I saw hothead in that article. I didn't see hot as in up and coming. I saw hothead. And then like, if he ever like upset your feelings, you just had to remember that coach Johnson didn't play college football. Like he's one of like, very few coaches that didn't even play college football. Yeah, he's just a, a really good psychologist, I guess. Something um, like that. <laughs> all right. I get so maybe I give you some about, coach Coach Jones stories. I know you guys love him. Yes, Coach Jones, go <laughs> ahead because he's coaching at the Citadel now, so he needs some extra ammunition. No, I got I mean, we always said he must have some on Buddy Green. <laughs> How's that? Like, how did he hang around so much? <laughs> like, so long, we always thought he must have something on Coach Johnson. <laughs> it helped him bury a body. <laughs> I think he helped him bury a body somewhere. <laughs> Along with Bobby Doyle. Got it. Yeah. Check. Understood. Um, how did Navy football um, kind of help build your, you know, trajectory of life? Um, you know, yeah, you mentioned yeah. a couple things about that. Just being around the right guys. Right. I think the because it, I talked about it earlier, right? Like big fish, small pond. And all of us think we're really awesome, you know, as we're coming out of high school or whatever. And it's a slap in the face, man. Like, cause I get there, right? And everybody is better than you. And it's not just at football. Like you're a, they're better dudes, they're better athletes, better people, you know, like and I've just found that in my career, like if you surround yourself with people who are better than you, like I'm just trying to live up to what everybody else around me is. And, you know, I've been yeah, fortunate enough. So far, right? Yeah. And like, I don't think if I went, I think if I went to some other school, maybe on the athlete side, yeah, I'd have met a lot better athletes, but you don't get that thing where like, man, he's a, such a good dude. Like, I just want to be like him and you get to Navy football and you're just surrounded by that. Right. Like, Dudes who are smarter, better athletes, and at the same time, you're just like a better dude than me. You take care of people better than I do. And I just found that is like the ultimate challenge was to to be as good as that guy next to you and, and help out like he does and be a good dude and be part of the team. Yeah, sounds like a Mike Matthews. Just be a good dude. There's yeah. so much to that, like – it's so simple, but it's so powerful. Yeah. Right. Cool. Uh, let's see. All right. 
Um, <clears throat> give me a story of fail failure for you inside your career, somewhere where you just like failed really hard. Got any good ex you know examples of that? I think I have so many that it would be hard to pick one out. Um, I think it's those moments and, and they're so in a squadron, right? Like you're going to do like four years usually. And it's, I'm kind of referring to like Lieutenant to captain timeframe. Right. And that's probably your biggest learning period because you go within four years and you're like the lowest on the totem pole to like the most qualified, best tactically proficient at your job in a squadron. Right. And, and that's a lot of people like you're talking about like 300 some people and like, you're it, like you're the peak, you're the peak of what you're supposed to be. And it's the most stressful too. Right. But learning to take a step back and make sure that you're meeting all the other people's needs. Cause you think it's all about you performing, but to not take a step back and make sure that you're developing your friends and people that you've excelled uh, past to come up and meet you. And like, there are times that I think, you know, I could have made another person better that wasn't even like under me, like no, not somebody I'm training, like somebody that's kind of my peer. Like those are the ones I kind of have regrets about that I could have made them better and pulled them along. And I, th I always think like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Like if you're, if you're going up, you better be pulling somebody up with you. And uh, I always think yeah. that's something I could try and do better. Just talked to a guy named Mike Stebbin. He talked about lift as you climb. It's exactly what you were just talking about. Um, 100%. Any specific part, part in your career that like you can remember? Like, hey, I did this thing. I, I went back to this, you know, episode of my, my career that I remember I, I, I screwed this specific thing up. Any, anything specific there? Yeah, I think, it, like I think it's, it goes back. Yeah. But it's, I think it, it, the most specific I can get is relation relationships, right? Like relationships. if you ruin, ruin a relationship over something stupid, like forgive and forget, man. Like if somebody doesn't leave, live up to your expectation, get over yourself. Like if they're trying, like learning to get over yourself and understand, like you need to bring yeah. that person up. It's not their fault necessarily. If they're trying you better be trying to bring them up. And uh, I took it too personal sometimes when people didn't perform like I thought they should. And it wasn't necessarily the people under me because I always had a lot, a lot of empathy for the people under you, right? They're the, they're the easy ones. It's your peers who are letting you yeah. down sometimes. And you think they're letting you down. They're not letting you down. They're just not performing the way you thought they would. Like they're not not trying. As long as you try, I'm, I'm down, yeah. man. I'm good. And I think recognizing the difference in that was probably one of my biggest like things I could have been better at. Gotcha. hundred percent. I can, uh, uh, not empathize, but feel you there on a couple of different occasions. Cause I've done the same thing. So good stuff. Um, so dovetailing off of that, how do you remain self-aware? It's a good question. Um, it gets harder and harder as you get more senior, right? Cause when you're more junior, you're surrounded by your peers who will tell you you're an idiot. And as you kind of get to the peak of any organization, there's less people to do that. And if you don't remain approachable and encourage people to tell you when you're doing something stupid, 
that is that's the that's the problem, right? So, like for me, and I I've heard of people doing this, and I I, di- I didn't do this officially, but I did do it via voice. I walked in with my sergeant major in XO, and I was like, "Here's a paper. If I'm ever doing something stupid, this is you hand me this and tell me you're firing me. Like, tell me I'm done." And like, because you're the check and balance, you need to walk into my office, shut the door and tell me that I'm doing something really, really stupid and to get my head out of my ass. And, uh, you know, and I, I hoped that they took it very seriously. Like that is your job. If I ever need my head pulled out of my ass, come pull my head out of my ass and don't ever hesitate to come tell me. And if you don't make them really believe that, like if you don't, if you don't have that trust, they're like, no, man, I mean it. Like, I, I am not going to take offense. I beg you to please come check me. That's that's the problem, right? And that's when people get in trouble, man. It's always it's always the spam. If you never heard it, like sex power. There's an old dude, a CEO, would keep a, a can of spam on his desk. And he people would be like, why is there spam on your desk? And he'd be My like, that's what gets people fired. Yeah, it would, <laughs> it'd be like, that's what gets people fired. And you're like... What? And he'd be like, sex, power, alcohol, and money. That's the four things. If you look at any senior leader who gets fired, it will be one of those four things that got him in trouble. Sex, power, alcohol, or money. Well, I loved Spam as a kid. I don't don't eat it anymore, so I guess I'm okay now. You got to fry it, though. You can't just raw dog it. (laughs) It was was a a hunting thing. Yeah. uh, Eggs and Spam. spam. Eggs and Spam on a biscuit. There you go. Yeah. Spam and bread and then onions. But you got to, you got to fry the spam, man. Uh, You can't raw dog. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was definitely fried. Uh, now good advice. Good story. Um, I like it. How you can, you know, have the trust, uh, and that senior enlisted and be like, Hey, slap me in the face. If I need it, I'll take it and then I'll fix it. So that's awesome. All right. Um, only a couple more questions. What's your recent struggle? Something you're working through today? Finding out what's the next chapter. You know, I've been I've had a known a known future since the year 2000 or 99 when I decided to go to Naps. Uh, I have no idea what the next chapter is. I go on terminal probably like next May, so a little over a year out, and uh, finding a job. So you're year mark. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So like, you know, we've been doing this forever, right? But like the people that normally, like a lot of people stay in because they're scared to get out. I stayed in because I enjoyed every day of what I've been doing. I have no complaints about the Marine Corps. Um, I am not scared to get out. I'm excited. I look forward to the next chapter. Um, But still my biggest challenge right now is figuring out is writing that next chapter and uh, finding fulfillment in whatever job I want to do, like what's going to give me that from fulfillment to provide for my family. Do you know what, I mean, do you have any kind of interest outside of the Marine Corps so far? Like, are you heading in a certain direction or what are you thinking? Not specific, just because it's so far out, you know, companies and stuff like that, they don't really hire that that far out, but I, I think I want to make a, a, a clean cut. You know, I don't want to be a, a contractor for DOD. You know, I don't want to be a GS, whatever. I think I want to make a clean cut, you know, and, and go into a new career, something new and exciting and 
what that's going to be, I don't know yet. Gotcha. Well, uh, good luck. I'm going to call you and get advice. <laughs> well, I'll try and give you the best advice I can, but at the same time, uh, as you know, everybody's different, right? Yeah. I'd say, <clears throat> what is it when you go to sleep at night? What is it that you're excited about tomorrow? If that's people, if that's a team, if that's a certain technology, whatever that is, figure out how to twine in like your top five things that you're interested in into what the next step is. Um, but, you know, my, my experience is still very limited after getting out. Uh, did some oil field time, doing some manufacturing time. I would say manufacturing has a lot of team type stuff in it. So that's a good thing, but there's, there's so many things out there. So um, at the end of the day, what is it you like? Because you have to wake up to it every single day. Do that. Right. Yeah. Which is easy, easier said than done, even after you find what you like. So, um, cool. What's your price of admission? Oh, big question, Tony. Uh, I think it's just be prepared to sacrifice. Uh, whether that's for other people, that sacrifice is most commonly your time and some pain in some way. But uh, I stole it from uh, Clint Bruce, who I think stole it from his dad. But time and tide wait for no man, right? Like time is what you've got. That is your commodity. And uh, when I say sacrifice, too, you have to prepare the people around you to be prepared to sacrifice because they're going to sacrifice, too. Like if you haven't done that, if you haven't prepared your family and your friends around you for that sacrifice, because you can say, yeah, I'll sacrifice all day. But when you look at somebody and say, are you willing to sacrifice your wife and kids time too? Because that's sacrifice. And if you haven't thought about that, like the time to decide that is not when you have to sacrifice. You have to prepare your family and your friends and the people around you for that sacrifice. And if you haven't done that, your relationships will fail. And we already said it's all about relationships. Uh, you know, I kind of started with my wife. She, she's been with me like long enough to know every Navy football story, every Navy football player from our time. Like, you know, and she's the rock. She holds it all together because there's been so many times I jumped off. It was like, I'm ready to sacrifice. And she's like, me too. I'm here. I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm ready to stay home for seven months at a time while you deploy. And that's what does it. Like, don't just think you're the only one sacrificing. You have to prepare yourself, but also the people around you to be prepared to sacrifice. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, tell your rock star, Leanne, thank you. Well, same to you. And uh, Will do. I try to remind her every day. Sometimes I forget. Um, yeah. Hey, before I forget, but, uh, thanks for doing this, Tony. Like, the stories, like, I've listened to a couple episodes and – and every single one of them, I've learned something important to me that like I'll carry with me. Uh, you know, I've hit my, what was it? Uh, Blake's dad said, he's like, I've hit my head against a lot of rocks. Like, and if I can prevent one of you guys yeah. from hitting your head against a rock, you know, like that's, it's the truth, man. Like you learn something from everybody around you. So maybe you don't have to hit yourself, you know, and you're providing that to us and you're, you're keeping the brotherhood tight and it's awesome. Awesome. Love doing it. I like uh, learning the rocks 
so I don't have to hit my head as well. So I get more benefit out of it than 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 y'all know. So it's awesome. Tell the family I said hello. Thanks for your time. Awesome. I will. Episode. Thanks for having me, brother.